<laughs> can't see your face anymore, though. I know. We've got poor connection at this point. Uh, well, we'll finish off, and then we can we can try see if it'll... I don't know if it'll... I don't know. <laughs> can you... It's not even... Here, no, do, you, do you want me to just call down. you back? Hold on. Keep recording. Okay. Keep recording. I'll okay. call you back. Okay. Are you a good witch or a bitch? I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rule your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Well, you're listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. This is Good Witches, Bad Bitches, a weekly podcast that we do. I'm Deanna. That's Hannah. And we talk about women. Yeah. Women and women and women and their folk. (laughs) I'm watching Deanna eat a cinnamon roll through FaceTime and it's, it's very strange. We're we're living in strange times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh god. Cuz it's still I've morning for me it, and it's afternoon for you. Yeah. I know. All right. Should I read this email to you that we got a couple days ago? Uh yes, please. I haven't I, I don't think you've looked at it yet. No. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it's from a couple in Tasmania. I was like, what? That's freaking awesome. Um, How did they hear about us? Well, that's, I have no idea. We'll we'll see what they say. Um, We'll see what they say about where they found us. So I got this email a couple days ago. We got this email a couple days ago at the GWBB uh, podcast Gmail. Mm. And I'm just going to read it to you because I thought it was really cool. They're talking about um, a woman that they found really interesting. So it starts, hi, Hannah and Deanna. Yeah. Hi, Hannah and Deanna. My name is David, and my partner, Chelsea, and I really love listening to your podcast from Hobart, Tasmania. I know you have a long list of women to discuss on your show, but we've recently come across another incredible and absolutely badass Australian woman you might want to add, Mary Roberts. And he talked about Mary so well in his email that I was like, why don't I just read your email? Because... Oh, yeah. Such a great, you just, you've told the story really well. So that's what I'm doing. So he says, Mary Roberts was born in Hobart in 1841, and most of what is known about her is from her work as a pioneer in educating and preserving Tasmanian fauna later in life. Uh, She married Henry Roberts in 1863, who owned a successful wool and stock agency, and together they designed and built a large mansion in Hobart. Mary spent several years converting the mansion into a zoo, taking in exotic birds, and caring for over 34 species of Tasmania's terrestrial animals. What? Can I have this life? Uh, right? <laughs> I know, surrounded by animals and I mean, that's, that's in the your ultimate mansion. dream, to, to have like a farm sanctuary filled with animals of all <sighs> kinds. I know. We have talked about this many times. <laughs> Let's make a commune, Hannah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get a, a mansion and convert it into a zoo. Um, the zoo went public in 1895. 
Now, to uh, appreciate how truly incredible her efforts were, you have to realize that Mary cared for all types of native Tasmanian animals, including the Tasmanian devil and the now extinct thylacine, which I have never even heard of, but it was also called the Tasmanian tiger. Tasmanian tigers were cool. I looked up pictures and they were crazy looking. Um, Unfortunately, they're extinct now, but she did her part to preserve what she could. Um, And both of these animals were feared by many European settlers and government issued bounties for the carcasses of these animals were put in place. Boo. uh, uh, Yeah. As early as 1830 to prevent livestock losses. I mean, I don't know. You're introducing livestock in these places where it's easy. It's fish in a barrel. Yeah. In other words, the same stigmatized predators of Tasmania that were actively being hunted were also being fed and cared for by Mary Roberts in her own backyard. Uh, It gets better. Mary became the first person to successfully breed Tasmanian devils in 1913, and she published her work in the journal Proceedings of the Zoological Society of London. Um, Mary's conservational work during a time of government-sponsored culling makes it absolutely inspiring and something I think your audience would really appreciate. Uh, Fuck yeah. Chelsea, yeah, thank you. Chelsea wrote a fantastic article on Mary Roberts on our blog if you would like to read more. And I did read more, and it is a really great article, so I will share it. Yeah, please link um, to In it. our show notes, yeah. yeah. Their website is cultureshock, C-U-L-T-U-R-E-S-H-O-Q-U-E.com. Um, but I'll share the link to that specific article. Um, so yeah, that's that's our email, and I felt like that was worth reading because it was so informative, and I really liked the the information and the way that he compared yeah, what was happening in Tasmania at the time with the government-sanctioned killings of these animals while Mary Roberts was doing her best to save them. Dude, that's, yeah, that's chaotic good right there. Yeah. Where she's like, the government's saying we should kill these things, but I'm going to hoard as many as I can. And they're <laughs> yeah. my babies. It's like Newt's commander. They're my babies. Oh, you don't understand dude. them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think that's so freaking cool. Agreed. 34 species. That's, that's so that's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, I know. Yeah, I wish, so thank you, I wish David and Tasmanian Chelsea. tigers were still around. Yeah, guys, you got to go look up pictures of these animals because they really are They're really pretty. They look like they were really graceful. They're kind of weird because they they look kind of like they're kind of like foxes in a way, just in that they're sort Mm -hmm. of cat-like and sort of dog-like. Yeah. Yeah. They have a little bit of both. Yeah. But I I, like read about them. Scott Westerfeld put them in um, the Leviathan series. There was a a woman who was a Darwinist who had one as a pet. Oh. And I was like, what? Um, So that was the first time I'd really learned about them. But now we know about a real person who actually kept them as pets, sort of. I know. (laughs) Or at the very least saved them from... I mean, eventual extinction, unfortunately, but there's she only did. so much one person Ugh, can do. God. Yeah. I mean, really, if it's all on her shoulders, then I don't know. But she did what she could while she was there, and that's awesome. Yeah. Yay. It's very, very cool. Thanks, guys. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. 
Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Uh, do you want to hear a, a little bit quicker story this time, um, but about a woman? About a lady? Uh, about a lady? Yes, yes, please. I would love to. I I found this person while surfing Atlas Obscura, as I often do, because... I mean, that's a great place to be. I know. Sorry, I'm going to hold for loud vehicles. Uh, and it hers was a story that I really wanted to share with you, but it's it's short enough that... I wasn't sure when, and I think that we're, you know you're you're spending your last couple of days in in California, so we were deciding to keep this a little bit short and sweet. So I thought this would be the perfect time to talk about Marion Stokes. Ooh, okay. And do you know the name? No. Okay. Uh, I got so I mainly am am going to be reading from the Atlas Obscura article just because it's so awesome. But there is a film about her, a documentary that I think literally just came out this spring called Recorder. And so I took a couple paragraphs from recorderfilm.com because they're obviously they did a documentary about her. They have all the most information. Um, And I thought I would use them to sort of intro her story a little bit. Please. So. Yeah, so it starts. Marion Stokes was secretly recording television 24 hours a day for 30 years. Okay. (laughs) It started in 1979 with the Iranian hostage crisis at the dawn of the 24-hour news cycle. Right. And it ended on December 14th, 2012, while the Sandy Hook massacre played on television as Marion passed away. Ooh. In between, Marion recorded on 70,000 VHS tapes, capturing revolutions, lies, wars, triumphs, catastrophes, bloopers, talk shows, and commercials that tell us who we are and how television shaped the world today. Huh. Before fake news, Marion was fighting to protect the truth by archiving everything that was said and shown on television. The public didn't know it, but the networks were disposing their archives for decades into the trash can of history. Yeah. Which I didn't know. So for a lot of these news news, uh, stories and and channels, that's the word I'm looking for, what she recorded... is that networks, thank you. Um, what she recorded is literally the only record we have of a lot of their programming and their news. So, you know. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. Remarkably. I guess at a time like before digitized, like before we could compress files and make them, as I'm sure they do now. 
maybe. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. It's that kind of space costs a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but remarkably, Marion saved it, and now the Internet Archive will digitize her tapes, and we will be able to search them online for free. Holy shit. So now we jump into the Atlas Obscura stuff, and it's just so... Ugh, she's such a weird person. So... About 71,000 VHS and Betamax cassettes are sitting in boxes, stacked 50 to a pallet in the Internet Archive's physical storage facility in Richmond, California, waiting to be digitized. And this, this was written in the spring. The tapes are not in chronological order, or really any order at all. Well, okay. They got a, <laughs> I was yeah. gu- that was going to be my question. Like, oh, it sounds like she was super organized. No. They well, she, I think she was, but they got a little jumbled as they were transferred f- from her where she lived to the facility in California. Oh, but were yeah. they not labeled? <clears throat> uh, I'm not sure. Let me see if it if it says first recorded in Marion Stokes' home in the Barclay condominiums in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. The tapes had been distributed among nine additional apartments, <laughs> which Ooh. she purposed solely. For the storage of those tapes throughout her life. She purchased nine apartments How to store the tapes. How could she afford that? Apparently, she was actually quite rich. And I think it's because she married a rich dude oh. at one point. Um, so, yeah, she kind of, she had money. She had a chauffeur who remembers her oh, okay. as, like, some guy. Like, he, he remembered her as somebody who just never spoke. Like, she would get into the car and not say a word to him, which I thought was very strange. He was just like, it was so weird. She just didn't want to talk to people. She was very paranoid. But, you know, I don't know. She's just, it's very interesting. So later the tapes passed on to her children, um, then went into storage, and then they finally ended up at the California-based archive. So I don't know if they're labeled or not, but it sounds like they all kind of got jumbled and, uh, you know, mixed up as they moved from place to place. Well, that makes sense. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And although no one knew it at the time, the recordings Stokes made between 1975 and her death in 2012 are the only comprehensive collection preserving that period in television media history. So, in 1975, wow. Stokes got a Betamax magnetic videotape recorder. Oh, my God. Began, I know. <laughs> she began recording bits of sitcoms, science documentaries, and political news coverage. Um, from the outset of the Iran hostage crisis on November 4th, 1979, she hit record and she never stopped, said her son. Um <laughs> la, 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 la. Yeah, she was interested in access to information, documenting media, making sure people had the information they needed to make good decisions, says the director of Recorder, Matt Wolf. The year 1980 brought the launch of CNN <clears throat> and the 24-hour news cycle. Soon, three, four, five, and sometimes as many as eight tapes were spinning away all at one time in Stokes' apartment, recording news broadcasts, commercials, and everything in between on multiple networks. Whoa. Uh, while but many people She must assumed, have had multiple TVs and multiple... Yeah. Like, I think she had, like, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. 
you know like i have to assume she was just not really watching it she just had it all playing wow um yeah which is well many wow oh sorry no just continue i'm just floored Well, many people assumed that television networks held on to everything they aired. That wasn't the case. Studios were constantly erasing and recycling broadcast tapes in order to save money and free up storage space. Um, Her son said, we would be out at dinner and we would have to rush home to swap tapes. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, like, when she's sleeping, when she must have been setting alarms. Yeah, I I mean... this tape's going to run out at 3 a.m. I got to get up and change it. I have to assume. And she also clearly had her family involved. Like, it wasn't just her life's work at a certain point. It was everyone's work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. What if she, did she ever take a vacation from this? I doubt this it. Would be like, here's, <laughs> sis, would you mind changing my tapes while I go to Bermuda? <laughs> like... I get the feeling that she would not have been able to stop thinking about going home and continuing. Not if she was paranoid and yeah, and yeah. sounds like maybe a little OCD, but not that I'm going to diagnose anyone. Yeah, I think she had a lot of she had a lot of different things going on, um, but it it kind of goes on to talk about some of those things. So she was no stranger to television. And its role in molding public opinion. Right. Um, An activist archivist. She had been a librarian with the Free Library of Philadelphia for nearly 20 years before being fired in the early 1960s, likely for her work as a Communist Party organizer. Whoops. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so from 1968 to 1971, she uh, co-produced Input, a Sunday morning talk show airing on the local Philadelphia CBS affiliate with John S. Stokes Jr., who would later become her husband, who had the money that she then used to do all of these things. Um, And the show Input brought together academics, community, and religious leaders, activists, scientists, and artists to openly discuss social justice issues and other topics of the day. Cool. So I feel like, as somebody who very much believed in, like, the clearly the communist uh, ethos and social justice, I feel like a lot of this was not purely paranoia, but, uh, you know, wanting to make sure that there's a record for the public of all of these things that have been going on. I mean, it was more about, like everybody having access to information than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. But like if it, but if it had been me, like at the same time, I would have assumed as much of the public did that the TV companies were keeping track of their own information. Or maybe, maybe you wouldn't. I mean, maybe you know that like having, having all of those tapes doesn't make sense. Where are you going to put them? Like, she clearly filled up nine apartments worth. Yeah, but my thought process tapes. maybe would have been they have the money for more storage. Maybe. I don't but know. I think we also assume that about. I, I think, like, because we can store things and because things are archived now so easily, like, it's easy to feel like we would assume that 
they would do that. But also, having worked for a TV station, she would know that they don't do that. True, 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 true. Yeah, you're right. Now that I think about that. Yep. Um, But, yeah, so... Let's see. They've got a quote here. Our vision is really aligned with Marion's, says Roger McDonald, director of the television archives at the Internet Archive. It's really bold and ambitious, universal access to all knowledge. So there you go. Marion's son had contacted the Internet Archive when he was trying to find a home for her tapes in 2013. Um, McDonald immediately seized the opportunity, and within 20 minutes, the two were on the phone. McDonald recalls asking her son, how could you physically manage taping all of this stuff? And her son said, well, we would be out to dinner and we'd have to rush home to swap tapes. That was one of the cycles of our lives, tape swapping. Wow. In addition to her son, Michael, and her husband, Stokes's nurse, secretary, driver, and step- stepchildren were enlisted to assist her uh, in her uh, round-the-clock task of capturing every moment on television. She would also involve them in active conversations, asking those around her what they thought about the issues of the day um, and how they were being handled on broadcast TV. Hmm. Ooh, having been surveilled by the government for her early political activism, she and her first husband, Melvin, had attempted to defect to Cuba together before splitting up because they thought they were being followed by the FBI. Whoa. Yeah. And they might have been. And they might have been. Um, she was exceedingly cautious about her recordings while she was still alive. She never, ever used Devo when it came out. And although she was an early and evangelical investor in Apple, what? She never sent an email in her life. <laughs> she even... She convinced- never sent an email? She never sent an email. She invested in Apple, in Apple stock, but she never sent an email. Wow. And she convinced uh, apparently a bunch of her other family members to also invest in Apple, which then paid off in Spain. I mean, obviously. That would, yeah. That's a wise investment. <laughs> so she funneled the funds that she made from her stocks into her recording project and the massive storage space that she required as the sole force behind it. Wow. I know. So she had a rich husband and then she invested in Apple and then had her uh-huh. own fucking money. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. Yep. Um, the director of that movie, Matt Wolf, says, she's already excluded from power and established institutions, so it makes sense that she would want to pursue her life's work privately. Hmm. Now, her work will be made publicly available on the Internet Archives bit by bit, offering everyone the opportunity to examine history and perhaps to set the record straight. Yeah, or see history the way the media conglomerate companies wanted us to see them at the time which is a good comparison yeah Yeah. it's very interesting i mean it makes me think about um that episode we did way way back um about carmelita torres and how you know she was involved in this revolution that the american media sold to the american public as Oh, those Mexican workers don't want Mexican migrants. They blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to clean your houses, so screw them. Yep. It's like, no, actually, they're being doused in Zyklon B every day. Cool. (laughs) 
it is interesting. I mean, I'm I I would be super curious to check that out and see what that looks like. Right. Um. But yeah, I just thought that was that was such an interesting little story, and she is clearly somebody who, like you said, may have had uh, some problems. Apparently, according to another article that I did not obviously put any information about here, but I did read, she was paranoid in weird ways, and she got there was a point where she didn't want anything to do with some of her children, and she basically convinced her husband to not talk to them. Like, she was like, if you what? talk to them... Because I think because she thought that they were gonna, that they were not on her side mm. and that someone was gonna tell on her and some, and then that would mean that, you know, FBI or the government or whoever would show up at her apartment and take all her tapes. So she was like, better to just not speak to my family, I guess. Wow. <laughs> Which is crazy. So there were little things that kind of, um, I think, m- clearly made it a- an extreme thing yeah. for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh but also what she did is very important because now we have this stuff. Yeah. Ra- like randomly because this one woman was just like, "Hey, I think that the world needs this and I don't know when and I don't know how, but I'm going to make sure it's all recorded on these freaking Betamax tapes." <laughs> and uh see what happens. Wow. That I just, just can't even imagine. Mind. Like I just keep like imagining what that life must be like, and and escaping into that in my brain, and it's just it bananas. I know nine apartments, but was she like traveling between each one to change tapes? Like I, or I was that just storage? It was like, just storage. Oh my God, can you even believe apartments? She just bought these apartments for storage. But how, I mean, and how big apartments can be, however fucking big you pay for them to be. Yeah, I guess I, I would be curious to know where they are and to see the insides of them, <laughs> because I think they were probably in the Philadelphia area, I assume, since that seems to be where she was kind of based. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I don't know how big they were. I just know that she was just like. I need another apartment to fill with tapes. So, yeah, here we go. Wow. Good way to use my husband's money. And my money. And my money. <laughs> Investing in that apple. I mean, well, well, hello, same to you, sir. <laughs> well, we can move on to on this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today is May 29th. Yes. And uh, so there are a couple interesting things that happened today. 1790, Rhode Island becomes the last of the original 13 colonies to ratify the U.S. Constitution. I didn't know Rhode Island was the last one. I didn't either. But 1790, today. Small but mighty. Way to go, Rhode Island. That's right. 1851, Sojourner Truth addresses the first black women's rights convention in Akron, Ohio. <gasps> that, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 1861, Dorothy Dix, D-I-X, <laughs> uh, offers, <me>. help, <laughs> offers help in setting up hospitals for the Union Army. And I didn't know who she was, but I so I looked into her a little bit. She apparently is responsible for, like, the creation of mental asylums. Um, which it was, it was a good faith thing. It wasn't 
it wasn't yeah. intended to be like the her- the horror show that they turned into. Right. Um, I, of co- but, I would hope not. Yeah. I think, I, I guess mental illness was something that was really close to her heart. And she spent a lot of time trying to raise awareness about mental illness. Right. Which in the 1860s is kind of a big deal, I think. Yeah. Uh, yes. So anyway, thought that was an interesting little tidbit. Um, 1919, Albert Einstein's theory of relativity was confirmed by Arthur Eddington's expedition to photograph a solar eclipse on the island of Principe, West Africa. And the theory is that when light passes a large body, gravity will bend the rays. Oh. And so Arthur Eddington confirmed that in this trip. Crazy. 1919. Uh... 1942, Bing Crosby records White Christmas. Aww. I know. That uh, child abuser. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> no, I know. But it, White Christmas is like such a good movie and it's such a great song. Written by Irving Berlin, noted Jew. <laughs> oh! <laughs> hey, there's a theater degree coming in handy. Good to know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, I'm pretty sure he was if it wasn't his family, but I'm pretty sure he was. They were um, Russian Jewish immigrants. Well, well, well. Yeah, and came over and and pulled himself up by his bootstraps. And I just find it funny that that a Jewish man wrote one of the most famous and beloved Christmas songs. <laughs> but that's very oh. common. <laughs> Jewish people wrote a lot of the famous Christmas songs. God damn, so funny. <laughs> yep. There's a lot to unpack in that. Uh (laughs) I'll just move on. Oh, wow. 1973, Thomas Bradley is elected the first African-American mayor of Los Angeles, California. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. That's pretty, that's earlier than I thought it would have been. Really? 1973? I don't know. California, man. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it is hard to know. I mean, and yeah, fuck. Who knows? Fuck. Fuck. Uh, Fuck. Fuck. History. Oh, God. I'm so bad at it. (laughs) So bad at it. Uh, Last one. 2018. I just liked this. Today is the day that uh, ABC canceled Roseanne Uh, after Roseanne posted a racist tweet. Feels good. Karma Feels is good. sweet. Um, not to, to be happy for all those people who were in limbo wondering if they had jobs. And then they did. <laughs> Other than Roseanne yes. when they made it the Carters. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. I thought that was a good save. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. A good way to keep that. Keep that going. But yeah, that's that. That's that's our lady and our history and... Yeah, it's kind of like it, we had a somewhat of a twofer because we got to talk mm-hmm. talk about Mary and then talk about Marion. Mary and Marion. I know. Mary and Marion. Oh, shoot. Which is funny because it sounds like it sounds like we're saying Marion twice. Mary and Marion. Mary and Marion. Mary and Marion. Marion and Marion. Oh boy. <laughs> it's time for my next cup of coffee. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> well, uh I will let you go do that. Do you want to ask me what I'm excited about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dana. 
Hannah. Tell me tell me what you're excited about. Uh, you'll be excited about what I'm excited about. <laughs> Ooh. So uh, this past weekend, um, I, Alex and I had like a uh, big ass movie day. We went to the theater. We saw three movies. But the the one that I'm like really I was like blown away by and re- had really high expectations for was Booksmart. Yes. It was so good and you oh, need to yes. see it asap if you haven't already i have not let's go I this need weekend to see let's it. go oh my god fuck yes can we please yes because oh, god it, it was so good and i was so because we also saw aladdin and Brightburn, and aladdin was it was fine it was pretty it was technically beautiful i liked will smith's like new take because will smith could never be robin williams and he knew that so he kind of did his own thing okay they expanded some character storylines in ways that i was like and some in ways that i was refreshed Hmm. so okay but nothing nothing will ever compare aladdin is my favorite animated disney movie so it's really hard really hard to top it um it's really tough i know it's tough um, but we can talk more about that later too. But um, and then Brightburn was was pretty good. Um, it was pretty good. But Booksmart right. was like uh, fucking blew me out of Magical. the water. Yes, Ugh. yes. I just every little tidbit I see just makes me. There's so much about so it too happy. that even in the trailer you don't get. But it's it was so refreshing. And in the credits. Um, it they, when you go to it was obviously directed by Olivia Wilde, so directed by a woman. The it was like seventy five percent at least of the producers were women. Um, all of the writers were women, and Fuck so it was yes. like one of the first times I saw like like female friendship reflected in a teen movie in a way that I was like holy fuck like just in the opening. I'll send. There's a clip that's like the first six minutes of the movie, and it is. So, I mean, it's just, it's great to see that I can still relate to at least that aspect of it because it's been a long time now since I've been in high school. But it's like, that is the way that I was with Addie in that like opening scene interaction with them. I was like, that's me and my best friend in high school and my best, like my childhood best friend. Like that's us. And then I other parts that. where I was like, that's me and so-and-so, and that's me and so-and-so. And I was just like, ah. I just, I can't wait to see a movie about female friendships and, like, female, like, teen female friendships that is not just girls being catty with each other because that's what dudes think girls do. Yeah. I'm just so excited to see a movie that actually feels, like, funny, the way teen girls are funny and like weird the way teen girls are weird i'm just i'm very stoked about the whole thing oh yeah 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 it's just so good it's so good i can't wait to, i'm we're seeing it this weekend it's decided it's happening yeah go we're gonna do it now it's and everybody thing else I'm excited go about. see it go support female driven movies written and directed and produced by lots of women yeah yeah. And impeccably, Ooh. like, the, the script was amazing, just the writing of it. The direction was amazing. And the acting was amazing. It's, like, just crazy. I don't know what Alex is doing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's it's well, well worth your time. I'm very excited. 
and now I'm mostly just like sitting here wondering when I can <laughs> when I can go this weekend we're doing it uh, I might have that that might have to be my second time okay we'll see but uh in the in the meantime we will leave you our dear listeners with this uh with this bi-coastal episode and next time you hear us we'll be together again yep together again reunited and it feels so good good (laughs) and on that note peace out witches goodbye Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us, you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.